When I tell people I'm an accountant, I'm usually met with one of two responses. Number one, aren't you a bit too cheerful to be an accountant? Or number two, oh, I couldn't do your job. I'm not a numbers person. Well, you can make your own mind up on number one, but number two is where this podcast is here to help. My name is Victoria, and I am living proof that you can turn your hand to even the most unexpected things. Through this podcast, I want to encourage everyone to become an unlikely accountant. I will be chatting to people who have mastered their confidence with money to help them do the things they've always dreamed of. So if you're not a numbers person, but you think you'd like to be, then please tune in. And if you are a numbers person, great, I'll be in good company. See you soon. Just to clarify that this podcast will at no point discuss financial accounting standards, mainly because I can't remember them. Coming up on today's episode. When you're doing something that you really love and that you really believe in, really care about, not going you know, to the same salubrious places just doesn't matter. It's no sacrifice, really, when you're getting to do something that, that really lights your, your fire. Guys, hello. Thank you for tuning in to the inaugural I'm never quite sure if I'm saying that right. Inaugural, inaugural, the first, the first episode of The Unlikely Accountant. I'm genuinely made up that I have any listeners at all. So thank you so much for tuning in. My guest today is the very glamorous blonde bombshell who I swear I have never seen uh, wear the same outfit twice. She's my sister from the same mister or just should I say, my friend that happens to have the same surname as me. It's Sarah Mortimer. Welcome. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. I'm very excited to be part of your I Can't Say It either, so I'll say first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me and being my, uh, being my guinea pig. You will be a great first guest. I, uh, I absolutely know it. So guys, so I've invited Sarah to be on this podcast, um, not just because she is super interesting to listen to, but because she has been a courageous, unlikely accountant, not just once, but twice, uh, with the first of those occasions forming a very substantial storyline in her brand new book. But yeah, before we dive into all this courageous accounting, uh, Sarah, can you just help, uh, help the listeners get to know you a little bit better, introduce yourself? Sure, sure. So hello, listeners. I am, um, I'm Sarah. Um, I was born in Canada, but I grew up in Wales. So I think I'm Welsh. So for um, purposes of nationality and orientation, that's, um, that's me. I went to university in Wales studying psychology and very quickly realized that psychology wasn't going to be for me, but didn't really know what else to do. Ended up falling into recruitment, which I think is what anyone in recruitment does. So I did that for a number of years, and, and that took me um, actually into the accountancy world. Bizarrely, I ended up working with a lot of hedge funds, which was quite an experience back in the uh, the mid twenty, you know, twenty first decade of the twenties, because um, things were doing really well, things were booming um, to begin with. Then that took me to Australia. I ended up moving into HR around that time. And now I've pretty much spent the last 10 years of my career in HR. But as Vic said, in that time, I've become an unlikely accountant a few times because I've tended to drop out of my career with quite regular frequency. Um, there's definitely a pattern there, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. As I've mentioned, you have been a uh, courageous, unlikely accountant. So let's come on to the, to the first time that you decided to do that and, and sort of explain to everybody what I mean by you being a courageous, 
unlikely accountant? I suppose there's been a, a few times. The first thing that puts things into my mind when I think about having to deal with money was um, when I first went to university. So I, I, you know, lived, been living at home with my my mum. I'm from a single parent family, and uh, mum was always in debt, always, mm-hmm. always in the red, uh, always had you know, um, to buy things on credit. And that's just how I, I grew up. So when I went to university and got my first loan, for the first time ever, I had some money in my bank account. And it was literally burning a hole and I couldn't spend it quickly enough. And I really learned very quickly uh, that living or managing money in the way that my mum had was um, was bad, you know, was really not going to, to see me well through adulthood. I remember that that first loan um after paying my rent maybe there was about a thousand pounds left and I think I spent it all in River Island it was just (laughs) first year I was in the red and thought you know this stops here and so from then on I was much you know much better with money and really keen to live within my my means so that because and is that because you you were broke after you spent it all and thought well this sucks I've now got no money I'm gonna have to get better at budgeting It scared me more than anything, you know, having nothing, having no resource, no fallback, no cushion, um, really, really worried me. So by the second year of my degree, I had four jobs and was doing (laughs) my work as well. So I was working as um, in a restaurant. I worked as a research assistant in the psychological department of the the university. I um, did some um, some sort of transcribing for one of the professors in the university. And I was working for a sort of a subsidiary of social services where I looked after looked after children, looked after being the the term that they used for for kids who are in um, in the care process, in the care system. So um, yeah, I, I very quickly learned that I did not want to be like mum having said that I've never been really money motivated you know I've never been hungry and wanted to amass great wealth um, and I haven't got great wealth so um, <laughs> well mission accomplished <laughs> you know but I always I, I really instilled this value in myself of living within my means mm. so work hard accumulate to do what I want to do um, spend a bit of that and then work hard, accumulate again to allow me to, to take time and, and spend it. And that's been, a, you know, a real pattern for me throughout my, um, my life. So to, to answer your question about the first time that I sort of dipped out of my career, um, it, was, it was a really difficult time in my life, actually. I'd, I, was, I was married and um, had been married for not very long, for, for about two years, to a guy who I'd known for nearly 10 years, but I'd met, you know, in my early 20s, and by the time my 30s rolled around, we were sort of growing apart. And I was working very hard uh, in, um, in a, a luxury uh, fashion business, a luxury jewelry business, I should say, Tiffany & Company, and my role took me across Europe. It was, it was great. I can't complain at all. It was um, really rewarding mm. uh, in, in that space. But I, I sort of, I knew that working breakfast, lunch and dinner at your desk and, you know, hardly seeing your partner and in HR, which is something that I've done for a long time, but never really found my heart in, um, something needed to, to change. And, and as my relationship was dissolving, 
it just seemed like you know the right time to sort of throw all the bits of my life up in the air and try something something new. But of course, yeah, that's hugely t- t- terrifying. You know, it's scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. So I um, I needed to kind of plan quite carefully how I was going to do that, mm-hmm. and it took me about a year to put all of the ducks in a row, you know, all of the the pieces in place to be able to take myself out of that corporate role for a period of time to go and and do something completely different. Um, So that's kind of financial planning and unlikely accountancy in in that that process. Um, But having my eyes on the prize, knowing that I wanted to step out of corporate, um, kept me focused in and um you know planning doing everything I had to do during that time and the end goal was to to move to Costa Rica for uh, actually at the time I didn't know how long it ended up being a year and a half but it could have been five it could have been you know could have been less could be longer who knows I didn't really have a, a plan other than going and having enough money in my back pocket to get me through the first maybe three months or so. And I knew I was going to work there and going to need to make money. But that was sort of, that was the point. I wanted to work and do something different. Yeah. Um, what I was doing was setting up a private chefing company and a bakery company. So, I mean, first of all, I just think that's amazing because I, I would just never dare leave the rat race, for want of a better phrase, but, you know, leave a, a you know, what, what I would see as, as, as leaving a, a steady career and a steady paycheck. Did you think about maybe I'll just see if I can get a sabbatical? If I was going to do it, I think, well, I'll just, I'll do it in like the safe way. And, you know, because where, I mean, we met at uh, Charles Tierra where I still work and they have a sabbatical scheme. So you can take up to six months. It's unpaid, obviously, but then, you know, you come back to your job at, at the end of it. Did you consider doing that or did you just think, no, I just have to get out of here and I, I just, I'm just done? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. And, um... I don't know why, really, because I was in HR. I was giving people sabbaticals, you know, I was signing off on them. I just knew it was time. I think that I've got a real, um, a real value around purpose and wanting to, you know, to feel like my life has a bit of a bit of a meaning, a bit of depth to it. And whilst Tiffany and Company is an incredible business, I'll have no, you know, no bad words said about them. They. And they do have a purpose, you know, it's around romance and, and it just wasn't my purpose, you know, mm. selling jewellery, very expensive jewellery yeah. on my reach personally, just seemed a little bit hollow for where I was coming from. So leaving, whilst it was, you know, re- really hard at the time, I knew I wasn't going to go back. Mm. And I actually had the opportunity to go back some years later, I was invited back to do a contract and I just, you just don't, just don't yeah, go back. Don't go back. Yeah. You, it's leave the memories where they are. You enjoyed it. It wouldn't be the same, would it? So, yeah. yeah. So you, so you quit your job and you up sticks and you moved to Costa Rica. Why Costa Rica? Um, where, oh yeah, good question. Why not? Um, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, why not? It's gorgeous. One thing that really, I really loved about it was it abolished its um, its army back in the late 70s, I think it was. And all of that money as a, a country that they used to spend on ammunition and, you know, fighting or defense, um, 
they plowed into the education system and into the healthcare system. So for a very small country in the middle of Central America, surrounded by countries that are still in civil war, have great amounts of poverty, Costa Rica's kind of doing okay. It seemed like they they had a, a great philosophy. They Their green energy situation is better than many places in the world. And I just... I'd been there before previously, so okay. you know, I had a experience, a little bit of insight, and I just felt really welcome there. I felt good there. Their um, their kind of their greeting where we'd say hello, you know, you're right, how are you doing? They say pura vida, and it means pure life. You know, how, morning, pura vida, and it just it just. Lovely. <laughs> and had you done any, you know, so from a financial planning, courageous, unlikely accountant point of view, had you done any sort of uh, planning or diligence in that area to sort of think, okay, well, I can, it's going to roughly cost me X to, to rent somewhere. My living expenses will be Y. I want to have this much money to, to use to set up the business that should see me through until, you know, this time. Did you kind of do any of that planning or did you just turn up with your suitcase and hope for the best? Well, if that sort of, if there's two ends of the spectrum, one being very planned and one being rocking up with your suitcase, I was definitely closer to the rocking up with your suitcase. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a maths person. I'm not a money person. I um, never know precisely how much is in my bank account at one time. I've got a bit of a, you know, a, a feeling. And, and I knew, you know, I had enough money to get me through for a few months. I hadn't researched how much rent was going to cost. I'd never actually been to the place that I ended up living for the, the year and a half that I was there. I just rocked up. I'd booked the first two weeks of, um, you know, place to stay, a sort of Airbnb type thing. And I just had this sense that I'd be able to figure it out. And, and I did, actually. You know, everything sort of fell into place. Where I really started to plan was um, when I set up this, this business. And business... I'm using in the loosest sense of the word. <laughs> I was, you know, literally trading at farmers markets and um, yeah, that's selling. a business. You're, you're a sole trader. It was cute that on mud floors with um, palm leaves as table toppings to present my cakes and things. Uh, it was very rustic, um, but you know, I, I realised that I had a profit and loss situation. Yeah, you know, I was spending out to be able to make my products that I was selling and needed to be able to calculate how much these products needed to be sell, sold for in order to make the profit that I was looking for, the volumes, mm. uh, and to be able to procure the raw ingredients that I needed in you know, the most cost-effective way. So mm. that, that was all, all new. And that must have, I mean, that must have taken some time before you got comfortable with that. I mean, you must have made some mistakes earlier on when you presumably didn't know where to source things from it and do you, do you speak Spanish because we were able to negotiate people <laughs> in Spanish I mean there's one thing ordering some beers but then trying to negotiate the price of something is is a bit different yeah no I don't speak Spanish well I mean I speak enough to have a couple of good conversations but certainly not business um, you know, level Spanish. You know, but really talking about this now I realize how very unprepared I was <laughs> <laughs> Because no, I did, and I was living in the jungle, literally where the jungle meets the sea. So it wasn't the case that I could go down to the cash and carry and buy lots of cheap flour and sugar. You know, I had to work within a very limited market in terms of supply, and um, there was a bit of a monopoly really on product. 
So it was very, very difficult to be able to, to negotiate. Luckily, the, the place where I was, a lot of people were expats. Um, so the Spanish thing wasn't as much of um, a problem as it could have been if I'd been elsewhere in the country. But also they were used to paying, you know, UK prices if you like you know even though we were in a, a country in development so that got me through my market certainly wasn't the locals it was it was expats and why baking and sort of cooking and the chefing business what experience did you did you have with that before are you just are you just a good cook and you just thought hey I can turn my hand to this yeah no experience again <laughs> <laughs> You're just so ballsy, honestly. I would just never do any of this, honestly. I say, I don't know if I'm brave or stupid. And I think there's a very fine line between I think so too. I think, yeah. (laughs) Fortune favours the brave. Well, maybe. Or, yeah. Or I'm just too stupid to notice when it all went wrong. (laughs) But I, um, when I was about 20, my best friend got married. And she asked me to make her wedding cake. I'd always been you know baking dabbling but always been really uh, keen baker and, and passionate about food but I'd certainly never made anything you know so important as a wedding cake and uh, she really just had deep to- expectation to put on you <laughs> like, you come to the wedding and also bake the cake that's a massive you know central focus of the wedding that we're all going to cut and stand around you didn't just want a um you know a, a regular white square iced cake she mm. wanted five individual wedding cakes not cupcakes fully individually iced little wedding cakes with sugar decorations and a you know a cutting cake at the top of this seven tier um display (laughs) and so this was really before the time of the internet I remember going to the library showing my age now looking through icing books trying to figure out how do you make roses And, and I just was able to do it and I loved it and I, I realized at that point how how much baking or you know creating with my hands really was a bit of a meditation you know it was a, a release time just disappeared when I was doing it and uh, I made a fairly good job of this cake it definitely wasn't perfect but everyone was very kind about it and it just went from there so I've been baking ever since as well as you know my my proper career mm. whenever possible I've made wedding cakes or celebration cakes and each mm. time it got better and better so Oh, I mean, I, I can certainly vouch for that. I have seen and tasted a number of your delicious creations. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I can certainly vouch for that. Um, amazing. So you've gone to Costa Rica, you've set up this business. And did you did you sort of make money straight away? Or did it, did it come as quickly as you were hoping to? Or did it take a bit of time? No, no, I definitely didn't make money straight away. So I, um, I remember the first time I went to the farmer's market all I took was Welsh cakes because all I had access to um, from a cooking point of view was a single burner hob. So you, know, you can't make a lot without an oven, um, but you can make Welsh cakes and you can make pancakes and things like that. So, um, and of course nobody knew what Welsh cakes were. Mm. So that was, you know, that was an interesting experience for people, but I sold them all, but I didn't really make much money. You know, maybe I came away with $50 or something and American dollars was pretty much the, um, the currency that everyone was using. Mm. So, you know, that, that certainly wasn't going to make me rich. But then, um, you know, I moved place. I ended up renting a place with a beautiful oven, actually. 
and um, was able to really diversify my, my baking. I remember one day trying to make French macaroons in about 100% humidity, which is really not something I'd recommend doing. That was absolutely horrible. It was a nightmare. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I was, I'd go to the the farmer's market, but I had my iPad set up next to me with pictures of celebration cake. So anyone who came along to, to speak to me to buy a scone or a, you know, a fruit tart, I would show them the pictures of the wedding cakes, the celebration cakes, and, you know, tourists who'd be there, very often they'd be having a birthday in their party whilst they were in town. So they could put in an order for a cake, which would be much more lucrative for for me or weddings there are a lot of weddings taking place on the pacific coast of costa rica so i was able to pick up wedding cake orders and there was a huge expat community there as well with two um international schools so there were loads of parties, and i was able to tap into to that uh, market too and that's where i made the money really from the the private um commissions but the 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 market allowed me to make those connections yeah oh wow so it just kind of snowballed like quite organically from there then really yeah, it did after a while I was asked by a um a deli that was opening up in the little village if I would bake all of these sweet goods so I was able to pick up a bit of a contracting role there as well and I, I made these cookies called big boys the big boy cookies they were nearly as big as your face and <laughs> um, and having chocolate chips in them they had big wedges of um of dark chocolate mm. and they were particularly popular amongst the yogis um you know, who would go yeah. on a month-long sugar fast and then sort of come out of the the yoga school or their meditation process whatever they've been into craving sugar i mean it sounds dreamy so dreamy so you were there for a year and a half so why did you come back man isn't it always a man oh so we'll just kind of zoom forward a little bit because you, so, so Sarah and I um, met at Charles Tirrett. That's how we know each other because we both worked at the same company. But in November last year, uh, you, you quit, you, 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 you did it again to be a, a courageous, uh, unlikely accountant and thought I've, I've had enough. Um, I'm going to quit because there's something else I want to turn my hand to now. Maybe if you can tell everybody about that. Yeah. So when I tell people the story of, of leaving Costa, of going for Costa Rica and everything that I did there and, you know, there's a whole other load of adventures that, um, oh, we could have a whole podcast like series about this, but we've just got this one episode today, but um, yeah, there'll be a series there. When I talk about it, people say, God, you should write a book. And I've thought for a long time, you know, yeah, I really would write, like to, to write a book. So I'm, I'm doing it. I actually started writing it about five years ago. Um, but working, yeah, as you know, Vic, what it's like at Charles Tirrett, it was uh, a lot of hours, um, you know, taking up a lot of your concentration. There was just no space to be creative um, at home after a, a long day's work. So the book just sort of sat on the shelf. And I knew if I wanted to do it, I was really going to have to carve out the time in my life for it mm -hmm. and um, you know again that these values of mine are really important and I have this value about creativity and potential and I just thought if I don't do it now am I ever going to reach that creative potential mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong I loved the job that I was doing and it did allow me to be creative in many ways but on you know the terms of a, the business that I was working for not on my terms so um, it was I was facing the regret of never doing something that I really wanted to do. And that for me was 
scarier than leave than you know staying and having a stable income you're losing that so I um again took quite a a long time in prepping for this move Uh, so it would have been about nine months before I left the the business I had some conversations with my boss who uh, was phenomenal fantastic and um, you know she she understood where I was coming from that I, I wanted to go and do something different and um but I I really cared about the business I really cared about my role so wanted to make sure that I did the right thing by Charles Tirrett and so we mapped out a really long handover period of about nine months so I I gave a nine-month notice really in which I promised that I would fill a number of projects and um and I did you know so for those nine months knowing I was leaving I was again able to save money and um, think you know strategically about how long this book was really going to take me to write how much would I need I've got a mortgage now that I didn't have previously so that's a whole nother level of of complication Um, but because as I said I I gave Charles Tirrett nine months notice they therefore said well you still get your bonus you know it's not like resigning and and leaving quickly so we were able to negotiate again that little bit of cushion to get through this period that I'm currently in not working but writing every day yeah you mentioned you've got a mortgage and so have I and that alone would just the fear of that would just keep me in full-time paid employment because I'd be thinking well I've got you know bills and and a lifestyle you know have you made a conscious choice to kind of scale back your lifestyle to conserve cash and things like that yeah yeah, I think you have to you know it's it's about balance isn't it so um although we say this but you you left Charles here in November and then (laughs) went away for like six weeks (laughs) so this is the last blowout this is the last blowout because you know I've got my last paycheck I'm going to go on holiday that was exactly right. It, where did you go? God, it just outed me then. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing anything apart from traveling to the side of the world when I'm unemployed. <laughs> well, I did do it on a shoestring. You know, I really did. And um, Actually, I'm glad you said that because when, you know, being sort of in, in Costa Rica and putting yourself in these situations, ha- has it taught you that about money, about how to sort of live frugally? Do you think that's something yeah. that you've, it, it's taught yeah, you? Definitely, definitely. And it's definitely not true about me um, never wearing the same outfit twice. You know, really- <laughs> it is true. I swear to God, even if it's just a scarf or, or even just a lip, Sarah wears um, beautiful uh, lipsticks every day. She's always super glam. So maybe it's just the lipstick that sets off, sets off the outfit differently. I don't know. I mean, that's one thing I've definitely, you know, scaled back on at times when I'm not working is spending you know on clothes or going out or you know you just when you're doing something that you really love and that you really believe in really care about like the the baking business that I had like writing my book now not going out so much or not going you know to the same salubrious places just doesn't matter Mm. it's no sacrifice really when you're getting to do something that that really lights your your fire yeah Oh, that's so nice. So what's the plan? So, so how far through, how far through the book? What, what's, what's the process? What's going on? So I'm just about to enter the editing phase of um, this very rough draft that I have. <laughs> Desperate need of, uh, of some attention. And then I'm going to try and get it published and you know, see where that goes. And again, as is classic of me, I don't really have a plan after that. I, you know, presume that Somehow it'll be published, whether that's professionally or I publish it myself, which is an option. Um, that's pretty easy to do these days, I understand. So I'll get that out there. 
and then I'll move on to the the next thing and um, you know that the whole purpose of this book isn't necessarily to make money from it it's just something that I wanted to do so I'm, I'm not relying on it any way to financially return mm-hmm. if it does that's brilliant um, but if not I've ticked a box of a you know a dream that I've had to achieve in my life mm-hmm. and I'll do the next thing and um, I don't know yet what that's going to be Oh yeah, I mean, what a bucket list item that you've uh, ticked. Because you're also, I mean, you are a seasoned traveler. You've been to how many countries? So I'm on a mission to go to 100 countries before I'm 40. And I'm at 95. 95. This is a bit of a stinker though this year, isn't it? This has put a spanner in the works. Even with that, it seems like to go to 95 countries, you must be absolutely loaded. But all of that has been shoestring traveling, you know, and budgeting and making it up as you go along, working here and there when you can. It's, you've got to be quite creative, I think, when you're on a, a shoestring. Uh, well, you know, there's a phrase that sits with me, is it's not about resource, it's about resourcefulness. I like that. Because it's true, you know, well, there's a will, there's a way. We, we could honestly talk for hours, but I don't want to do that because, first, we don't have the time. But secondly, I don't want to step on the book because I want everybody to go and buy the book when it's published. Okay. The book is, is essentially, it's, it's about you and your life, isn't it? And, and the experiences that you you've had it's about it's sort of a four-year period um in which a lot of stuff happens just before we wrap up then for the sake of the listeners if if there were sort of three three top tips with the benefit of your hindsight and experience that you could offer to people if they're in the same situation thinking oh i'd just love to do this but i just don't quite have have the guts or the nerve what top three things would you say to them to try and encourage them to give it a go so that the first thing I'd say, and <laughs> this is coming from someone who hates a plan, is to plan. So um, I'm an ENFP. I don't know if that makes sense to anyone, but kind of what I'm saying is <laughs> I don't like planning. Uh, but it does definitely plan, uh, help to plan a, a little bit. Uh, you know, what's, there's that saying, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. I think there's probably some truth in that as much as I hate to admit it. So I think be impulsive, you know, never miss an opportunity but don't be so impulsive that you expose yourself. Um, you know, like don't quit your job tomorrow. You need to kind of think through the big decisions uh, so that you um, enable yourself, you know, protect yourself. I think it's all about cushions. I've mentioned cushions a few times. Um, cushions are comfy, right? You know, you need a cushion for your tertiary. If you don't have um, a cushion, you're going to be on your ass from the start. And you might end up there, but you don't want to start there. So plan a little is number one. And the the second would be finish well. Um, Now, what I mean by this, I I guess whenever you're considering starting something, inevitably you're ending something, you know, or you're shifting your focus a little bit or, or whatever. And my advice there is don't burn bridges. You know, whatever you're giving up, do it with grace. It's not to keep doors open. Maybe you'll never go back. It's kind of more of a karma thing. So bear with me on this. But I sort of believe that if you do right by others, then they'll do right by you. It's sort of tidying your past away neatly so that the future can kind of expand um, clearly ahead of you. And then the third is be bold. And we hear this a lot. It's a bit of a cliche, but cliches are cliches because they're true. We've kind of got one go at this life and you can't let it get away. So don't you dare waste your potential in life. 
I think confidence is a really funny thing. People say to me quite often, Sarah, you're so confident, but it's not exactly true. I think yeah, I'm just as scared as the next person uh, about taking risks. The risk I'm scared of is slightly different, I think, to, to others. I'm sort of more frightened of not doing something than doing something. Very often people don't go for their dreams because they're scared of what if. Um, yeah, what if such and such happens? Well, what if it doesn't? And there's only one way to find out, really, and that's to do it. Because, you know, yeah, what if something bad happens? But what if you never try? What's, what's worse? Amazing. Thank you again for being on episode one of The Unlikely Accountant. I wish you every success with the book. I'm sure it will be published. I personally cannot wait to read it. And it would be great to have you back on here if this podcast is still going strong in the future at the time the book is published it's great to have you back on to plug the book thanks thanks look forward to it thanks so much for listening and if you enjoyed that episode please make sure you hit subscribe that seems to be what all the other podcasters ask people to do and also please do give me a follow on instagram i'm on at the unlikely accountant so you can send me any dms with any thoughts or feedback Only if it's complimentary, of course. Thanks.